Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Let this message be all unto your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I referenced a song by Third Day, Cry Out to Jesus. And I thought it was also very appropriate this morning, so I'd like to read the first two stanzas and then the refrain. To everyone who's lost someone they love long before it was their time, you feel like the days you had were not enough when you said goodbye. And to all the people with burdens and pains keeping you back from your life, you believe that there's nothing and that there is no one who, make, who can make it right. There's hope for the helpless, rest for the weary, love for the broken heart. There is grace and forgiveness, mercy and healing. He'll meet you wherever you are. Cry out to Jesus. It's a very appropriate song this morning, crying out to Jesus. Why would one cry out to Jesus? Because every one of us come to a point where we know that there is nothing left that we can do or anyone else can do. That everything that we have tried, all the work we have done, has come to naught. Nothing else can fix the problem. And so we must, we need Jesus at this point, and we cry out to Jesus. Those who are weary, those who are brokenhearted, those who are in affliction, those who are in addiction, those who are in sorrow and grief and more, cry out to Jesus. Because he is the only one who can heal you. He is the only one who can restore you to life. And so this morning, we have an account from the Gospel of Mark of two very different people who come to Jesus. One who is high and powerful, who ends up bowing at his feet, and the other who is lowly and unclean. And they both come from despair and desperation, and they come to Jesus. Because you see, Jesus, in his ministry of love and his mercy, in his ministry of reaching out to, to those who are in despair and desperation, he brings healing and life. So let us begin with this account from Mark. We are going to start with the high and powerful who bow at his feet. And when Jesus had crossed again into the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. So if you recall, two weeks ago, we were on the other side of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus is healing the demoniac. And he cast out the demon. The man is healed. He's now in his right mind. And Jesus now goes back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. We would believe that it would be at Capernaum. So at Capernaum, he healed a paralytic. And from Matthew's gospel, we know that he healed a paralytic. He also called Matthew as his disciple at that time, and he was teaching people. Now look, there was no Facebook, there was no social media of that day, but the work of Jesus 
And what he had done spread like wildfire. People knew of him, and they wanted to see in person who he was. And again, that's the crux of the question uh, of the whole point, isn't it? Who is Jesus? Is he really somebody who can heal? Is he a, a man of God? Or is he simply a, an itinerant, wandering rabbi? Or something else? Who is this Jesus? Now, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the leaders of the synagogue, they had a different idea of who this Jesus was. He was a fraud. He was an imposter. He was a heretic leading people away from the one true faith. Jarius would have been one of those leaders. It says he was a ruler of the synagogue. Think like president of the church council. It would have been that position, but even more, because he would have been responsible for some of the teaching, conducting worship, instruction of the people. Now, he wasn't a rabbi, he wasn't a priest, any of that, but he had a very high, powerful, and well-respected position. And he came to Jesus in the middle of the day, and there was a crowd around him. This would have been very unusual, because even Nicodemus, if you remember Nicodemus from Gospel of John, Nicodemus wasn't just a ruler of a synagogue. He was the teacher of all of Israel, high, powerful, mighty. And even then, when he first met Jesus, he came under the cover of night. But now, Jarius comes before this crowd, and he fell at his feet. This is a sign of humility before Jesus. A sign of falling at his feet was a sign. Uh, falling at his feet was a sign of humility. You see, he then cried out to Jesus. It says, and he implored him earnestly, saying, "My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be well and live." And he went with them. What? drove Jairus to his knees before Jesus? Despair? Desperation? That a daughter, a little daughter, a loved one, may die would drive any father, any mother to their knees to call out before Jesus. You see, it isn't necessarily an intellectual approach in which people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's not necessarily some Bible study in which people come to faith, although that can happen. What often happens is when people are driven to that despair, they come to Jesus because they need Him. Kent Hughes said this really well. He says, it was not his love for Christ that brought him. It was not what Christ, what he could do for Christ. It was his need. It was his desperation and a glimmer of hope. Despair is commonly the prelude to grace. And I thought that rang true. Despair is often 
the prelude to grace. In addiction, they call it hitting rock bottom, right? That's often the prelude to grace. When you realize you have nothing else left. And when you are in pain, no matter what the pain is, isn't it interesting that you often hear God's voice most clearly? Because you start to listen to Him and hear His voice. Look, this pain could be in the midst of sickness, of ill health. It could be in the midst of addiction, of broken relationships, broken marriages. It could be because you have an emptiness inside. Like you're in the valley of dry bones, and you are spiritually brittle, and nothing has refreshed you. It's at this point you cry out to Jesus. You fall at his feet in submission to him. And you cry out and you pray for healing. Now, was Jairus' faith, was his faith complete in understanding? It wasn't, was it? And that's the good news because Jesus does not ask you to have complete, full understanding of faith before you come to him. He says, Cry out to me. In faith, cry out. You don't have to understand everything, but know who I am. And isn't that the call of the gospel? The call of the gospel is for sinners who are broken, who are on their knees, to cry out to Jesus, Lord, save me. That's the gospel message. And so Jesus said he would go with him immediately. But there's an interruption here. A lowly and unclean woman comes before and interrupts. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. So there's four things you could actually know about this woman. She had been bleeding for 12 years. It does not specify what type of hemorrhage she had. We can speculate all we want, but we know that she was bleeding, and it was 12 years. That's a long time. And because she was bleeding, she would have been ceremoniously unclean in the Jewish law. She would have been, had to keep herself from others so that they aren't unclean. Think about, okay, how many of you had to isolate for a while during COVID? How would you like to do that for 12 years? It's devastating, isn't it? It would truly be devastating. It also says she suffered under many physicians. By the way, Luke, in his gospel, Luke was a physician. He leaves this part out. I don't know. There you go. But in the Talmud, which is the written version of the oral tradition, it says this, uh, that there were 11, I hold up four, no, there are 11, there are 11 different medical treatments for an issue of blood. Uh, And I'm just going to read you one so you can understand how she suffered under these physicians. One treatment was to uh, take some onions, 
boil it in wine, give that wine to the woman, have her sit at a crossroads, come up behind her, scare her, and then say, arise from thy flux. That was it. That was the treatment. So not only did she suffer under many physicians, she was broke as well. She'd spent all of her money. Was she in despair? Yes. Was she desperate? Yes. But she had a glimmer of hope. And her hope is Jesus. She had heard about the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. Now, in Matthew's account, talks about touching the fringe of his garment. Well, what does that actually mean? Well, any true Jewish man would have had a, a blanket, so to speak, a shawl over him. And there would have been four tassels along with some fringes on them. And these tassels were actually commanded by God in Deuteronomy and Numbers. Numbers 15 says, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel on each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them. Okay? So this is what she did. She, she reached out for his garment and touched one of those tassels. Now, just as I asked about Jairus' faith, was it full and complete? Was the woman's faith full and complete? Was her understanding complete about who Jesus was, is? No, it wasn't, was it? It was a beginning faith. And a beginning faith often has many errors that need to be corrected to learn and mature. I mean, the good news is God does not demand elite faith to come to him. Now look, even the disciples, even the disciples had incomplete faith. Jesus was with them for three years, and even after three years, they still had some very incomplete faith. And so they were learning and growing in their faith. They still had faith in Jesus, just wasn't full and uh, complete in understanding. So here's the question. Did this woman believe that the tassel itself had power to heal her? I would say no in this respect. It looks like it. I would say she knew of Jesus, and it was of Jesus. Was it complete in that aspect? No. But she was unclean, remember? She, and to touch a, to be unceremoniously unclean and to touch a rabbi, I mean, she could have gotten into a lot of trouble with that so that she even reached out to try to touch any part of him. And it was just the tassel she did. So I don't necessarily think it was a superstitious faith. Although for many people, they do have a superstitious faith. There are a lot of pilgrimages that people go on. They go to a particular place, a particular body of water, or have a relic. 
And they say, if I go to that place or go in that water or have this particular relic, and by the way, in the Middle Ages, uh, relics were very common, you know, and it, they were prized possessions. Like, And this is going to be gross, but to say, I have a little bit of the fingernail of St. Peter. People did stuff like that. And it was a very superstitious faith. But let me ask you, if it is the place or the water or the relic that heals you, why isn't everyone who goes to that place, goes in the water or has that relic, why aren't they healed? Because they don't heal, do they? Who and who alone has the power to heal? Jesus, right? You can say that louder. Who has the power to heal? Jesus. Jesus, him alone, has the power and authority to heal. And power and authority has also been a theme throughout this particular series. So, by the way, even in the reading from Acts, when Peter healed the girl, Peter wasn't exalted. It says that many people came to faith and believed in the Lord. So any particular miracle always points to the one who can do the miracle, who has the power and authority to, for the miracle. So I believe that this woman, incomplete in her faith as it was, had some faith in Jesus that he could heal her. And indeed, she was. It says, and immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And now we come to a really interesting section here. And Jesus, excuse me one moment. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. Now, this is kind of puzzling on the surface, isn't it? I mean, did Jesus not know somehow that power had gone out from him? Did he not know who it was? I mean, can anybody just kind of reach out to Jesus and grab its power like he's an outlet? You just plug it in and you get your power? Is he un, unable or powerless over his own power? And we would answer no to all of that. So a commentator, really well-respected commentator, R.C. Lenski, put it succinctly. The woman was not healed without the knowledge of Jesus. And this means also not without his will. He goes on to say, Many touched the garments of Jesus, and no power went out from him to them. They had no desire or purpose in touching him, but this woman came and purposefully touched him with her faith. To that touch, Jesus responded by letting his power go out and heal her. But then why? Why would Jesus turn around and ask who it was? In essence, why, why did he want that person to come forward? And I believe it has to do with two things. One is belief, and the other is confess. We are to not only believe, 
but we are to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Romans chapter 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now, I don't know if, if you remember, if you've been here throughout this series, I talked about how I had believed in Jesus for a long time, but there was a moment in my life where somebody said, have you ever actually confessed him as Lord and Savior? And I thought, I hadn't. I had never confessed him. And so that day, I not only believed, but I confessed him as Lord and Savior. And that was a, a demarcation for me that there was a change from one day to another. And so I think it is with this woman that Jesus actually gave her a moment of grace and said, not only believe, but confess. And so this is a moment of grace. Even if she didn't know everything perfectly, right? Even if she was still unsure about all doctrine and everything else, she confessed. And it says this, But the woman, knowing what happened to her, came in fear and trembling. Remember, she was still unclean by law, although she had been healed now, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is such an endearing phrase. Because I believe that in nowhere else in the gospel does Jesus call a woman a daughter. And isn't this a prelude that in Christ Jesus we are all children of God? We are all sons. We are all daughters of God. And this is an endearment, a welcoming to the family. He says, your faith has made you well. And now for 12 years she's not been in peace. She now has peace. She has been healed. So we have a, a high and powerful man who falls at his feet. We have a lowly, unclean woman who is healed. We also have life. For the dead are brought back to life. Going on, verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some uh, from, from house, some who said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. You know, because the crowd had been pressing on him. I mean, there was a great crowd, a thong. You can't move that fast in a crowd. He had been delayed. And now that he, the woman had been healed, there had been further delay. And by this time, Jairus' daughter had died. And think about adding insult to injury in the message. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble this teacher anymore? She's dead. There's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing that he can do about it. You just must accept the fact she's dead. Come back. We need to have a funeral. I mean, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? Uncaring, unkind. But Jesus said, do not fear, 
only believe. Now, did he say, believe in a miracle? Which is what a lot of people nowadays do. Believe in a miracle. A miracle will happen. No, he's implying believe in me who has the power and authority for the miracle. And that's also where our society has gotten way off base. Believe in a miracle. No, believe in Jesus who has the power and authority for the miracle. So, going on here. Start verse 38. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when they had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they, and they laughed at him. So, you have to understand, in our day and age, funerals are very somber and quiet. Especially if you're from the Midwest, you just kind of murmur, right? You stand around, and then you move to somebody else and you murmur, right? Very quiet. Look, Jewish funerals of that day, and even some to today, are very different. Uh, there's some research I found by John MacArthur. Old Testament, New Testament funeral traditions. First, there was a tearing of clothes. So when you went to a funeral, you wore clothes that you knew you could tear. And there were 30, so this was so important, there were 39 regulations on how to tear your clothes. First of all, you had to be standing next to the person, or you had to be standing when you tore your clothes. You couldn't be sitting, you had to stand. And if you were a a direct family member, you had to tear clothes over your heart. If you weren't a family member, you would tear your clothes, but it could be off to the side. I could see somebody going, oh, man, this is the fifth funeral this month, you know, like that. But we at least understand the rending of garments, the tearing of clothes. We can understand that. But there's something else. There was a loud wailing and weeping. I mean, this was part of the funeral. It wasn't quiet. It wasn't that Midwest Norwegian stoicism. It was a loud wailing and weeping. And by the way, not everyone here, I'm going to guess, is an extrovert like that. You wouldn't want to. So what did they have? They had some professional wailers and weepers. I'm serious. There were people who they would hire to come and wail and weep at funerals. And I Believe it or not, there are still professional funeral mourners to this day. Some non-professional ones, too. There seems to be sometimes some widows who like to go from funeral to funeral. I've heard that before. But so you had very loud, and you also had flute players. Even the very poor of Israelites should have had at least two flute players and one wailing woman. So you understand, when it says commotion, that's what Jesus walked into. And so when he walks in, just like when the sea is stormy, he calms the sea, he calms these people, he says this. He says, the child is not dead, but sleeping. Does that mean Jesus was implying she was in a coma? No, not whatsoever. The euphemism, right, for dead is sleeping, but Jesus knows that he will raise her from the dead. This is very similar if you want to cross-reference this in Gospel of John, what Jesus does with 
saying to people regarding Lazarus. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Same thing, right? The daughter, Lazarus. And what did the people do? They laughed at him, didn't they? Didn't they understand who Jesus was? They didn't. I mean, he had cast out all those demons. He calmed the sea. He had healed the paralytic. He had, the woman was healed right there. And yet they laughed and they probably mocked at him. And this is very similar to what they would have done on Good Friday too. They laughed and mocked him. They didn't know what, they didn't know who he was. And there are going to be a lot of people who are going to laugh and mock at Jesus all the way to their damnation. But this is what Jesus did. He wasn't, he wasn't stopped by their laughter. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is a very tender time here. He takes her hand, which, by the way, would have made him unclean. But Jesus, in his ministry of healing and life, comes to each and every one of us in our sin, in our uncleanliness. That's his ministry. You don't have to get, you don't have to get cleaned up before you come to Jesus. And so he takes her by the hand. He doesn't say a loud prayer. He doesn't do anything else, does he? He just, with a word, says, little girl, arise. Did he even have to say anything out loud? No, he couldn't. I mean, he didn't have to. He didn't have to say anything out loud. Just by his will, he could have healed her. He could have restored her to life. But he says this for the benefit of those present, that by his word, he has the authority. He has authority over death. And he brings the dead back to life. Again, uh, Lenski says it this, this way. With a word, Jesus robbed death of its prey. With a word, he put life where death had been. And that's really, if you think about it, this miracle that occurred right then and there is a prelude to Good Friday and Easter, isn't it? Everybody thought she was dead. God, Jesus, raised her to life. Everybody thought Jesus was dead and done. And God raised him to life. Because in Christ Jesus, there is life. There is the resurrection. At the graveside of Lazarus, He said, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You believe this. 
And that's a question for each and every one of us. Our faith in Christ Jesus, do you believe him, his word? As a matter of fact, we have a banner right in the back when you walk out. It says, he who believes in me will live. We proclaim the good news. We proclaim the gospel throughout. So, if you are in despair, if you are in desperation, if you are in pain, if you are suffering, if you are in spiritual drought, cry out to Jesus this very day. Out of despair, desperation, come to Jesus. At the foot of the cross, cry out to him. Have faith in him who can heal and give life. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.